Football Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Italian Football Podcast. I'm Carlo Garganesi, joined as always by Nima Tavali. We are now into the final week of the 2022 World Cup. We are at the semi-final stage after some some thrilling matches actually in the quarterfinals. I really, really enjoyed those four matches. I, I, I haven't been that big on the World Cup so far in the groups and even in the last 16, obviously Italy not being there has played a big role um, in, in that. Um, but generally I haven't thought the matches have been that great uh, has also become a little bit tiresome all the off the field stuff that's that's been going on but I really th- thought that the, the tournament caught fire uh, in the quarterfinal stage I thought some of those matches were, were fantastic some great stories some great comebacks um, just great matches full, full stop uh, and so what we're going to do on the show today is we're going to we're going to review all of those four games um, there's a lot of Serie A links there uh, in all of the four matches a um, lot of lot of big talking points. Um, so that's gonna that's gonna take up um, most of our show today. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. There's a lot of big, big, like I said, a lot of big talking points. We're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, England's exit and the English media, which I know all our listeners love. Um, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> going out. Um, should he retire now from football? Brazil shock defeat there. Uh, many people thought that he, that they would win the tournament. Uh, Croatia just go on uh, their midfield. Where does it rank among the best mid- central midfields of all time? I've got done. I've got a segment on that which I really want to discuss. Um, and you know, Argentina. There was a lot of uh, needle in that game. Messi uh, versus Vekos, probably the biggest mismatch ever, <laughs> which is pretty <laughs> hilarious. Uh, and then we will we'll, we'll review. Bobo. Yeah. yeah well. <laughs> when he calls him Bobo, we'll, I die. <laughs> mm. and, and we'll, we'll 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 also talk a little bit about Morocco, that brilliant fairy tale. Some of their players, Amrabat, who who has just been an absolute sensation in this in this tournament. Where Nimmer's going to do a little profile on him, uh, and then we'll preview the we'll preview the the, the two semi finals um, as well, which are coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday. We're recording this on Monday, so lots to talk about. Let's get into it. Okay, so as I said, we'll go through game by game and do a review. So we'll start with the most recent one first. So it's the fourth and final quarterfinal. France versus England. France win 2-1 in a in a game which I thought was a brilliant game. I thought it was a proper World Cup game. Uh, you know, you really felt the tension uh, in that game. And and that that was, you know, it felt like a World Cup game. Um, it was there was a good atmosphere. And, you know, it could have gone either way. It went to France. Uh, I thought that, I thought England played really well, um, if I'm honest. I thought they played really as well as they could have done. Um, but it just wasn't enough. I think in the end, France just had that that extra bit of quality. Uh, they had that, you know, France have that ability to just, you know, move up a gear, turn up the turn up the heat when they want to. And they did it. And they, and they, and they you know, they had that. Just that little bit of extra individual technical quality, I think, and that's that's really what made the difference uh, in, in this game. But you know, I don't want to take anything away from England. I thought they they, they really did play well. It didn't create much, to be honest. But I thought they held their own, and it, it could have gone either way. But France just just uh, they just know how to how to get the job done, don't they? Well, they do. But the reason for that is because I think they've got a team that's more ready. They they have they're, they're they're decisive players. Whether it's Griezmann, who I think has been really really good and gone under the radar a little bit this World Cup, um, 
Uh, Mbappé, who we all know, he's been probably been the pro- player of the tournament so far overall. Um, and Giroud, who is in the form of his life, as we've said on this podcast when, when we've spoken about how he's playing for Milan. They've got players that are where they are in their careers and where they are in their forms, in their you know form right now they're more they're more decisive they're more uh, they're more ready to 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 deliver at this at this level and i think england have such a young squad still um and and are not quite there yet i mean if we take away harry kane it's pretty much a very it's it's a very very young squad um so i think i think england are two to four two to six years away from from winning something and 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 I think they will win something um I just think that this this particular tournament I, f- I feel that teams like Croatia Argentina um France they're they're more ready they're more mature now to to win than England are but yeah I agree with everything you said I think England played really well I think England have played really well this tournament um, my, I, I just don't think they're quite ready yet, and I do have some doubts as to whether or not Gareth Southgate is the right man to take this England side to a trophy. I think he's done an absolutely phenomenal job. I think I'm so you know me personally, Carlo. One of the things I hate the most about football debates is this ridiculous um, polarization of if someone is shit or champagne. I think Gareth Southgate is has done an absolutely fantastic job. If you look at what he took over, where England were when he took over, and and what he represented, this new young generation of coaches with a new approach, you know, he with the work he done at the, at youth level for England, and and how he managed to bring these players over and, and integrate them into the first team, and has gotten really some success with. Them. I mean, look, semi final of the World Cup final of the Euros, quarterfinal of the World Cup, these are really good results. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at his overall manager, management you know, career at, at England, he's one of the all-time greats in terms of winning percentages and, and what he's done. England are a world-class team under Gareth Southgate. Um, and, and they play some really good football. Uh, he gets the most out of every player. But I don't think... Having said all of that, I still don't think that he is the right man to win England something because I think England have the quality and will have players that will be ready to win something in the next two to six years, the next two, the next three tournaments, upcoming tournaments. I, in fact, I actually have them as my favourites to win the Euros in two years' time. I think that's when they'll be ready to to push to push and win. Um, but regardless, um, I, I think. I think they, they they showed once again that this is a young team. This is a team that has incredible firepower, and they the way they the way they play is just so they don't they they're not bothered. They're not they're not. There's no weight on their shoulders. They play so relaxed. They know what they want to do. They know how they want to play. I think Jude Bellingham has been an absolute revelation, um, and and it's just you know and, and they they just keep producing. I think the only I think the only problem they've got. Is is still, I think, Declan Rice. I, I don't think he's good enough to be starting in that role. If they could find someone who's a little bit more creative next to him, and and maybe just give him defensive duties, I just don't think that he he and Jordan Henderson are of the quality, at least not from what I've seen today, to help England win. I mean that that's the weak area. But other than that, I think England have had a great tournament. They've scored the most goals after the quarterfinal stage. I think they've scored thirteen. 
um and 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 they um they no you know congrats congrats england on a good tournament another step taken forward um and um i i just think that france are more ready and 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 have more ready players today mm. i i think listen the, the, the... I want to try and make this as nuanced as possible for the reasons you just said. I, I, I think with England is that the issues we saw against France is is kind of the problem that they've always had in that in many ways they were actually the better team in this game in overall play. But if you look at actually what chances did England actually create aside from the penalties? Well, I'll tell you, mm. they, England had a non-penalty XG of 0.8 in this game which is not very high, let's mm. be honest. I mean, the only really good no. chance they had was Kane when he slipped uh, Upamecano at 1-0 in the first half and Loris came out and actually made a really good save. He was fast off his line and he kind of spread himself and, and made the save. Uh, there was a, there, and that, that's really, that is actually the only chance England created in, in open play. Then they had the two penalties, uh, which I don't want to discount. A penalty is a penalty, you, you, but it was a penalty. Uh, and then the rest was just just the usual set pieces. You had a you had a Harry Maguire header which clipped the post, but that was a header off a off a off a free kick. Um, and the other stuff was just you know you know Rashford's free kick at the end, which went over, and you know a few little bits and pieces, but nothing. It didn't really, and that was despite England actually for once, because this is how France play. Um, that England actually had you know much more of the ball, which is kind of surprising, but. They never created anything, and this is England for me. This was England at their very best. This is this is one of the best performances that England played, and they're playing against. Remember, they're playing against a France team who are a fantastic team, but also it's a France team with half their team out. You know, France has been absolutely decimated, which kind of shows the strength in depth that this France team has. That they they have half of their first team missing through injury. You know, they have the Ballon d'Or winner Benzema missing. They have their first two first choice centre midfielders, Pogba and Kante, out. You know, they have other players that are that are out injured um as well. You know, and they've also they lost Lucas Hernandez as well. Um, which may might have been a blessing, but still, you know, they lost him during injury in the first game. I was game. gonna say they're that's out. probably been they're a blessing because Teo's been outstanding, hasn't he? I know, I, mean, I know. But but they've yeah. been you know, they've been gutted yet, yeah, but England didn't create anything. And I think this is the this is I think this is the difference that even though I have no doubt that England are producing more players than maybe in terms of depth than they ever have done because and that is down to obviously the trickle down effect of of the Premier League's riches because because of all the money that's coming through TV and in the Premier League the clubs have so much money that they're building all these world class academies they're bringing in the best youth coaches in the world they've got the best facilities the best nutrition the best doctors the best science they they they're far advanced you know in technology and everything else that they're able to produce these young players. And for that reason, I think the future is brighter for England than it has been in the past. But at the same time, you know, if we're just judging England and what they have achieved during this, this Gareth Southgate era, I think it is a li- it is very, very much the same old, even though they've got to the, 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 the a final, a semi-final and a quarter-final, which is, which is outstanding for England based on their history. Um, if you actually look at who they've actually beaten during that time, they haven't beaten anyone. I mean, their record against elite teams is, is let's be honest, for, for a team that wants to be and considers itself a big team, which I don't think it deserves to be based on its tradition and history as an international football country, it's abysmal. 
They played 17 games during during Southgate's reign since 2016. 16 six, six years since 2016, they played they played 17 top 10 teams. Uh, they've only won three of those games. Three of 17. They've lost nine. Right now, two of those wins were in friendlies against Belgium against Belgium and Spain. Uh, they've only won one competitive game uh, against a top 10 nation during Southgate's reign. That was against Denmark, who were hardly a, you know, as, as you would say yourself, mm-hmm. hardly a super nation. Now, that was, wasn't was even one in normal time. That was one in extra time in the semifinals of Euro 2020. And it was one via, via penalty, which was a which was a dive <laughs> by Raheem Sterling, you yeah. know. Um, so, you know, the, the fact is that the, the simple fact remains, as it always has, has nearly always been the case throughout England's history and since 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 1966, which was the last time they won anything, is that whenever England plays an elite team, they lose. And, you know, the only reason they got so far in these other tournaments, uh, recent tournaments under Southgate, is because their routes to the to the to the latter stages in those tournaments was so so kind to them. They didn't play anyone. They had, the only it's a good team they, they like big nation, let's say, they played during these three tournaments, um, uh, you know, before France was Germany, which they beat obviously they beat in the Euros at home, but it wasn't a good it was a bad Germany team, it was a terrible Germany team. Um yeah. so yeah the point I'm making is that really it, in many ways it was it's still the same old from England if we're judging it on what we've seen. Now and that's not me saying that the future can't be bright. They have got a young team they are, like I just said, they are producing and they have the, the tools to produce more players because of all the money that's coming through the Premier League and that, that will help them. But, you know, the idea, uh, and we'll come on to the English media in a bit, the idea that, you know, England need to be seen as this big, major super nation and that, you know, they're going to win the World Cup. And I think it's absolutely absurd because, you know, they again, it's been the same old story. England playing against an elite team, they lose. And yes, they played well in this game, but... They didn't create anything. They barely created anything. That's true. Well, you see, that's true. But I think that's more down to... I think that's more down to to a couple of reasons, this particular one, if you look at it, this this, this particular defeat. And I think that's more down to do that, to the fact that their decisive players are either not in form, like Harry Kane, because he's not been in that great of a form, if we're perfectly honest. And... The, the the youngest the, the yeah he's a little bit too slow but if we look at also if you look at you know the players like Saka and Bellingham they're all very very young they're not in their prime yet they're still go moving towards their peak I don't think we've even seen eighty percent of the potential that these guys have um, and so and also I think Gareth Southgate again is a great coach but I think he's limited I think this is his ceiling I don't think he can win England anything. Um, I think he would deserve to on a personal level because I really like the guy, but I don't think he has the tactical astuteness to take England to that next level. I think he can get them to a semi-final. I think he can get them to a quarter-final. I think this is the level he can do. But in in in-game management, like for example, taking Saka off, you know, he doesn't in these decisive moments. Yeah, when he when he's when he's up against the best, you know, in decisive moments in big games, I think he makes mistakes. I think he did it in the Euros as well in the final, as we saw. Mm. Um, you know, putting a seventeen-year-old Saka to take the final penalty, I think, was ridic- a very bad decision. Um, um, and and luckily it didn't break Saka, but but it was no, but it wasn't it wasn't thanks to Gareth. But my my point is simply that again, I really rate the guy. I think he's a great. I think he's done a fantastic job. But if England want to win anything, they need to have a someone who 
is better at this level, who's better at mm. handling these the things. The problem with that is they'll have the to go for a foreign... Handling... Yeah. They have to go foreign, though. They have to go for a foreign coach yeah. if they're going to do that. Because yeah. if there are no English coaches. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. that's, that's well, the, I agree that's with the, that. The, I agree the with issue, that. isn't it? Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, or or if they decide, you know, once Graham Potter fails at Chelsea, they want to go after him. Um, but uh, but regardless, I mean, it's uh, and and that is a matter of time, by the way, because um, yeah. he was not ready for that Chelsea job. But regardless, um, I think someone like Thomas Tuchel or even Luis Enrique. I mean, do you know what I mean? I, th- I honestly think Luis Enrique with this England squad, <laughs> it would be interesting. Maybe Harry Maguire wouldn't get in. But everyone else, I mean, I look at overall, I think it would well, be, be interesting to see him trying to make England. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see him try and make them play possession football. That that would be interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. But anyway, I want to move on. Um, as I want to I want to talk about um, I want to talk about our favourite friend, the English media. Um, and let me just before I, just <laughs> as I introduce us, let, let, let me just let me be honest that, you know, I'm not when, when, when we criticise here, criticise the English media, this isn't criticising um the the english people the english football team uh the players no the fans absolutely um not. and it's definitely not in, it's not criticizing the, the english independent media um of which i guess we're part of no, you could say. God, no. um <laughs> you know it's it's not none of that but it is and i've been open and honest about it i i can't stand the english mainstream corporate media i can't stand it i find it insufferable um i find that the narratives that they always run are are just unbearable um and it you know i just found this is exactly the same and and you know um it was exactly the same with, with this game um the, the the english corporate mainstream media always has a narrative for, for whatever whatever it is they're talking about whether it's a, a world cup whether it's a you know a football match like this game, or whether it's a political issue, or whether it's a big news story like they're talking about the the, the latest Meghan and Harry uh, uh, documentary on Netflix, there's always a narrative. There's a preconceived narrative before before the fact, before the before the before the before the event, and they stick to that narrative, and it's always the same. And in football, whenever it comes with England in a World Cup, uh, it's always the same. It's the same narrative every single step of the way and when it when it comes to England getting knocked out of a World Cup it's always the same and and in this case I just find that the narrative the what the narrative since England went out has basically been number one they were robbed by the refs number two they were actually the best team in the tournament um Jamie Carragher actually said this I just (laughs) just seen just now uh they were the best they were the best team in the tournament and, and this is a golden opportunity they missed out on and number three the future is still incredibly bright for the next one now that is always the narrative. That generally is, is nearly always the narrative if there's the opportunity there, and that has been the, the narrative in this. Uh, I just find I find it. I don't know about you, but I find it absolutely astonishing that that England they got two penalties in a game, and they were correct penalties. They were deserved penalties, but they got two penalties in a game, and they still want to blame the ref. <laughs> what do they want? They want four penalties. <laughs> I mean, I, I find it. I just find no, it. No, but amazing. the thing is, if you look at the if you look at the if you look at the episodi the episodes then I don't understand what they're talking about. They were not robbed. They got every major decision in terms of penalties was given after VAR review, which is the correct thing to do in that situation. I mean, the referee got it right there, and and so did the VAR. As for the one that they didn't get in the first half, that was outside the penalty area. (laughs) This is not a penalty. Harry Kane, Harry Kane. I mean, Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he should have had a free kick. Don't get me wrong. He should have had a free kick, but... 
Are we now, if we're going to move the goalpost to call it an absolute outrageous scandal just because you don't get a free kick or... or, or 45 or, seconds or, or, before or the, the goal. Opposition. Yeah, if, it's, I'm sorry, but I'm not buying that. You know, there was no scandal. The Saka one yes, was a foul. I, it was a foul. It was a foul. Yeah. I'll be honest. It was a foul. He got fouled. And you can say, okay, that's a bit unlucky. It's, it's unlucky. But, you know, it was 45 yeah. seconds before the goal. They had 45 seconds. They had, they, they went ran the whole length. They ran, they covered the length of the pitch before. And there was loads of different, uh, different phases of that attack before it eventually got to Tuamani, who then smashes one in from, from miles out, a miracle goal, you know. And you want to blame the referee for it? I mean, I, I just I find that. I don't, this is the thing. I don't think the referee was. I, no. I don't think the referee was particularly good, but I don't no, think he that he was. But he wasn't. But it wasn't. You know, it wasn't one of the. It wasn't like Argentina, Netherlands. That was a horrible referee. That was dreadful refereeing. That was a referee that had no control and created more problems than than he resolved. And 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 was had no consistency and and completely destabilized the game, which ended the way it did. But I mean, whatever. But but to me, I don't think England were robbed. I think the referee did, wasn't very good. But I don't think England were robbed. And they got you know again, they weren't robbed of any major clear. I, I don't think it was a red card because I don't think the rules prescribed that it was a red card on Theo Hernandez. No, no, the rules uh, the Theo rules are sta- rules are clear. Nima, the rules are clear. They don't just, you know the rules are that's not a red card. You cannot get a red card unless the, yeah. the player, the attacking player, is in control of the ball. Then the attacking player wasn't in control of the ball because the ball was, was flying over his head. I mean, it was an absolute brain dead. A, a foul from from Teo Hernandez, absolute stupidity. But it's not a red card. Yeah, he did. He it, did quite a few of those. Yeah. No, he was bad. He was bad. Teo Hernandez was bad, and and that this kind of shows that that is still a weakness of his game, his defense, defensive side of things. But but you know, yeah. Yeah. anyway, the, the, they they complained about three three incidents going their way. Well, two of them clearly the correct decision was made, and the only the only one was the Saka foul. But you know, as we said, it was forty five seconds. I mean, how many goals? How many goals are there in games where you know fouls are made? 45 seconds a minute two minutes three minutes five minutes before do you know what i mean it's 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 it's, um it's it's you know it's it's, yeah i i I find that reaction a bit ridiculous as well i find it a bit they got two penalties the point is england got england got two penalties that's the point they got two penalties in the game i mean you know it's just i find it i just find it unbelievable i really do yeah itv itv's commentary i think think the role by refs is is embarrassing in england Yeah, I I read where what's his name Sam Ma- what was it Sam Matterface uh, I think yeah. his name is saying that making a really really it was funny but it was very unprofessional that comment about mm. um, about uh, that Chris pen- penalty we yeah. needed mm. yeah yeah we needed Gary Lineker but got Chris Waddle it was like whoa yeah. um, <laughs> I was that was very when very Chris Waddle was a much when Chris Waddle was a better but, player. Yeah, Chris Waddle was a better player than Lineker. He's talking about Chris Waddle like he's he's uh, you know some donkey when he was one of the greatest players England's ever had. You know, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm anyway, really, let's, no, let's, I, let's, I, I let's yeah. It's just it's just this is the problem. This is the problem I have. The English media is that they rub up they rub they, they rub up people the wrong way with their just this 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 arrogance. Well, I mean, the, what willful, the Sun did, willful the, ignorance. Sorry, listen. Yeah. Yeah, but what the Sun did, going to Paris and buying ginormous billboards, taunting the French. I mean, 
if you, I mean, I'm sorry, but if you do stuff like that, and again, I have no problem with trash talk. I think it's funny. I think it's brilliant if it's, you know, within, you know, without crossing the line of racism and stuff like that, but which they didn't, by the way, for once in their lives, the sun actually did it in a funny way. They, they, you know, they, they, they posted stuff like that in and around the Champs Elysees and, and in, in Paris. But I mean, if you're going to talk the talk, you also have to walk the walk. And if you fail, then of course people are going to make fun of you. And it's not harder than that. I mean, it's the same thing with the, with the, with a game against Argentina, Netherlands. If if the the Dutch were were all up in Argentina's face, and so they lost, the Argentinians taunted them. It's 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 mm. like I, I have no problem with that. I just I just feel this notion of you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If you're going to dish it out, you're going to have to to be able to take it back. But that's that's the only thing for me. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, there's that as well. I, I just just think that the English, the English corporate media, mainstream media, just is. This is why that people. Yeah, they're they're, let's be honest. It's I'm why it's why the rest of the world. It's why the rest of the world wants England to lose when they play. And, yeah. and some people can't it understand is. it. You know, like, why is. do everyone? But it's the English media. The reason why everyone wants England to lose, yeah. and that's why you know everybody else was celebrating that England lost to France. It's France. I mean, France. So let's be honest. They're not the most liked nation in the world, are they? By, by neutrals, you know. Let's be honest. They really are. They really, really are. They're not the most likable. <laughs> they're not the most likable nation either, are they? But everybody just was, was you know, was, was <laughs> you know, and 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 you know, really this, is, this is why they rub people up the wrong way with their, you know, with their arrogance and the willful oh, ignorance, the willful ignorance, and just. Just the way that they talk about the this and this like going back when I'm talking, look, going through the stats before, mm-hmm. you know, you know the, the teams England have beaten in knockout World Cup games since 1966. I'll read them out for you. They've got eight knockout wins in 56 years. Eight wins in 56 years. It's been 14, 14 World Cups since 1966. England have eight knockout mm-hmm. World Cup wins. Now I read out the teams they beat: Paraguay, Belgium. Cameroon, Denmark, Ecuador, Colombia, Sweden, and Senegal. Name me, name me an elite team that they've beaten in a World Cup knockout tie since 1966. Well, they haven't. I've read, just read out all the games there. You know, mm. that's 1990. Germany, Belgium, by the way. That's... Well, sorry, you're talking World Cup. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Talking World, talking World Cups. Cups. Yeah, I'm talking World yeah, Cups here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that, again, that says it all. Yeah, you know, that says it all about the pedigree and the, the, the historic pedigree of England. Yet, yeah, you listen to the English media and they talk about England as if, you know, they have this God-given right of being a challenger for the World Cup and they have to win the World Cup. And this is England's year. You know, it's coming home. That It's coming home, which pisses everyone off as well. They bring it out, bring out that stupid song every single tournament. I don't know how many more years they're going to drag that song out for. And, and it's just like, it pisses, it pisses everyone off. It really does. It, it winds people up. And then you see their media and you see like on Talk Sport and, they, and you know, X is better than Y. You know, every oh. year, every, every single day. Oh, Do you know the oh. I saw. I saw. I'm just just looking. You know, they, the other day that I, I saw a clip. Um, me and Adrian Del Monte were laughing about it, that. That Raheem Sterling's better than uh, Jason Cundy. That said that Raheem Sterling's better than Pele. Raheem Sterling <laughs> is better than Pele. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> you know, coming up with stuff like this, and, and, and you've got. Um, You've got um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, no, the the Mason Mount. Button. Sorry, what's his name? He said Mason Mount. He said Mason Mount is better than Neymar or whatever. I mean that that just ended yeah. me. Like, Mason Mount better. Believe that he doesn't. Mason Mount's better than Neymar. You had Stuart oh, Pierce. Stuart Pierce um, doing before the game was picking his combined eleven. His combined uh, France England eleven. He had three France players in it. 
Three. Three France players in a combined <laughs> combined England-France seven. His, his centre midfield duo was um, Declan, Declan Rice and Bellingham. He had Harry Maguire at centre-back. He picked Luke Shaw over Teo Hernandez. I mean, it's, it's just it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You know, it what just reminds me of on? Lee Hendry. Yeah. Lee Hendry, before the game, said, I look at Giroud and he doesn't worry me. Like, when you say stuff like that, it's like... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I'm unbelievable. sorry for laughing, but it's like, but it's like when you say shit like that, and then it comes back and bites you in the ass. It, people will laugh, and again, this is it. It's the same all the time. It, 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 yeah, it's <clears throat> always it's always the only X number of players would get in the England team. You, you hit that every single time. I remember when Germany knocked out England in 2010 when they beat them four one. And I, yes, I do know that that Lampard goal was was over the line and it should have should have, it was a scandalous decision. Yeah. It should have counted and it would have made it two all. But actually. If you look up until that point, Germany battered England and they battered them thereafter as well. And they were so much yeah, a better did. team than them. And <clears> and before the before the game, before the game, the the, the commentator, I can't remember if it was BBC or ITV, said that only one one Germany player would get in the England team. <laughs> and they were, and the thing is, they after the game, even after they've lost, they double down. And that's why you get people like Jamie Carragher, yeah, who was an absolute imbecile, that said after the game that, that England was the best <laughs> team of the World Cup. You know, Jamie Carragher. I mean. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Oh, it really is. And this is another start of another petition as well. I saw, I saw, I saw Jerry Mancini tweeting something out that yeah, England have started a petition to replay the game. <laughs> always a, it's always a petition to replay the game. Yeah, <laughs> I love when they go football Karen on on tournaments. <laughs> football Karens. Is, I mean, whether it's, it's 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 so they want to speak to the manager. It's like I love that. I live for it. Like for me, it's it's hilarious. I I would never start a petition over a football game in my life. Like it would it, mm. it would have to be a no. very specific situation. Yeah. I just just before we go, I know, just before we just before we move on, I, I promised I would do this. I have to give a shout out to my to my good friend Arnie who um, who has a bet on on France to win the World Cup, and he was a bit nervous before the game, thinking that England you know England might win. So he uh, he got his his Neapolitan mum to do the, the Malocchio before before the game, and she, they they held uh, hung up a, a hex. yeah. Hung up the chili and the and the, the pepper from the, from the TV <laughs> during the game, and it, yeah, so I think it. <laughs> Maloc, it's so yeah. good, Maloc, Maloc, I love it. It's so it was, good. Are oh, you Neapolitans? Kill me, man. I think France. I think France are the favourites. I think France are the favourites now, but they have to get free Morocco in the in the semi final yeah. after. I mean, wow! What a fairy tale! What a what a what a story! Mm. Morocco. They've beaten Belgium. They've beaten Spain. They've beaten now. They've beaten Portugal, and let's be honest, it's been no fluke. I mean, it's it's been deserved, hasn't it? It's been deserved. They they, they haven't fluked mm. these games. I mean, the Spain mm. one, okay, no. was fifty fifty. It was a penalty shootout. It could have gone either way, but they haven't deserved to lose any of those games. They've 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 been equal or better in all three of those matches. They deserve they deserve to win this game against Portugal. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. I mean, this is this is what a story this is, Nima. It really is. Um, I'm just to you know just to be fair and 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 show that we're not well, there's no bias on our sides against the English media. Peter Drury is the goat of commentators. Please go on YouTube and Google Peter and and search Peter Drury Morocco commentary and just enjoy. He really is a poet 
uh, of, of football commentary. It is absolutely fantastic the way he talks. Uh, it, it gives you goosebumps. It almost brought me to tears just listening to to him afterwards. But you know, in, in those clips is so fantastic. He really captures what it means. I mean, it's it, it's it's what it means that that he captures what it means to the Arab world. What it, how how the Arab world and the Muslim world has united around this this Morocco side. I've got I, I know someone who's in Saudi Arabia who said that the the level of excitement around Morocco is something he's never seen before. Even when when Saudi played in the in, in this in the World Cup, he saw it's it's, it's a different kind of energy. Um, they've really galvanized everyone, and also the fact that they're the first African team to reach the semi final of the World Cup is it's so it's so great. And also, if you you know if you take into consideration how the chaos that was before they came into the World Cup, and you know this new coach taking over when he did, and everyone was so annoyed that you know finally we have a good team and we have a good chance, and all this chaos. And, and he manages to turn it all around and they've only conceded one goal and it was an own goal. Um, they're so yeah. defensively solid. And and mm. no, it's it, it, and there's the their counterattacks are outstanding. I mean, this is uh no, I, it, it's hard not to have fallen head over heels in love with this Morocco team. And I mean the way that they celebrate with their mothers on the pitch, dancing. I mean it's oh, that's just, beautiful. Yeah. It's it's just wholesome. Yeah, I mean, you, you just love them. You just fall in love with them, don't you? Oh, for sure. And it's great also for the African and Arabic world as well, the first nation ever to get to the, to the semi-final. And, you know, we've had this debate, um, you know, I said it myself, didn't I? You know, is is African, Asian, North American, you know, basically all the continents outside of Europe or South America, are those continents and the national teams there and their football, the players they produce, you know, are they any better than they were 20, 25, 30 years ago? Uh, or let's say 20 years ago, the beginning of the millennium. You know, we've asked that question. And, you know, I don't think mm. just one team gets the semi-final and necessarily says, yes, it is or yes, it isn't. But, you know, this is historic. This is the first team ever to get there. And they've deserved it. It hasn't been a fluke. It hasn't been that they've been holding on no. and they've got lucky. You know, they've deserved it. You know, they, 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 they haven't, they barely conceded any chances against Portugal, uh, and against uh, Spain, and, and if I can remember rightly, against Belgium as well. I mean, they barely conceded anything, and they've and they've, you know, they've not just been playing well as a team. They've had great individual standout players as well. I mean, the the two midfielders of I mean, we're going to do a profile on Amrabat in a minute, but Amrabat and Unahi in centre midfield have been as good as anyone in centre midfield. They've been absolutely fantastic. And Nesri up front has been great. I mean, Ziyech has been back to what he was like at Ajax. He's barely been playing for Chelsea. Buffal has been magical to watch. Some of the skills and the close ball control and little nutmegs and tricks down the touchline, I think he's been beautiful to watch. And then the defence, as we said, the defence have been absolutely rock solid. Uh, I know they've got some injuries at centre-back. I'm not sure if they're, how fit they're going to be going into the, the France game. Uh, and then Bono, I think, has been the best goalkeeper in the tournament. Just, just Not just his, his ability, not just shot stopping but just his whole everything about him how commanding he is um just 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 the calmness that he brings to the defense and and everything i mean you know and then of course you've got the manager who's, who's come in at late notice and and uh i mean look at i mean i think i think they've only conceded one goal during his june i'm not yeah, sure how many games goal, he's been in charge from, of which... you're not just in this tournament but even before i think they had about four four yeah. clean sheets or five clean sheets before the tournament with this new manager as well like it's like their defensive record is absolutely insane it's just unbelievable um so it's a beautiful 
beautiful story. Um, but for me, the, the player of the tournament or the best midfielder in the tournament, I'm not sure if I'd call him the player of the tournament. I would still probably go with Mbappe for that. But the best midfielder in the tournament so far, in my opinion, has been Sofiane Amrabat, the Fiorentina midfielder. So we've got a Serie A angle there. He has now been heavily linked to all the big, to big Premier League clubs, to PSG, to Liverpool, to Tottenham. Um, can you just, just for those that don't know that much about him, can you just just tell us a little, tell the, the listener a little bit about him? Well, Sofyan um, Amrabat is the, as everyone would know, he's, he's the younger brother of Noreddin Amrabat. Um, he was born in in the Netherlands, um, uh, in um, in Huizen, I think it's called. I'm sorry for the pronunciation. Uh, he came up at Utrecht, and if I'm not mistaken, Eric Ten Hag was was his coach there as well. Um, he he moved to Feyenoord, where where he had kind of a breakthrough season in 2017, 2018. I think he scored the consolation goal against Napoli in a three one loss. Um, and then and, and then he he got his move to to um to club bruges uh and where he signed a a four year contract um and and he was there for 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 just just the season before hellas verona discovered him on for 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 the measly on a loan with an offer to, with, with an option to buy set at a measly three and a half million euros and he quickly, under Ivan Juric, became um, the most important player. I remember Ivan Juric saying in a, in, <laughs> in a pre-match press conference where they said if he's going to rest Amrabat, he said, no, uh, Amrabat will play for as long as he's alive. Unless he dies, Amrabat always starts. Um, and, and that's the kind of, you know, that's how quickly he became so so central and important to that Hellas Verona side who, who, who were just outstanding in the Serie A. Um, and then, of course, you know, he moved to Fiorentina. But if we look at, you know, some of the stats, I know you've got more detailed stats for him. Um, but in this World Cup, I mean, I've, 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 I've brought up pretty much all the big names and, and of all teams from Gavi to Pedri to Kovacic, Modric, all these guys. He's in the top five for, for the defensive uh, stats in pretty much every single stat. Um, from defensive duels per 90 minutes to uh, successive defensive actions per 90 minutes to defensive duels percentages one, etc., etc. And he's just become an absolute pivotal player for this Morocco and how they defend. Uh, he's always in the right place he, he, he at the right time and always does the right thing. Um, it, it, it's so impressive to see him really have this incredible breakthrough at the at the World Cup, and finally, people see what you know. People who listen to this show will know what I've been raving about for years. I absolutely love this player, and and I think he is a kind of a so up until this point in his career, he's been kind of a poor man's uh, Marcelo Brozovic. There's you know he doesn't cover the same amount of space that Marcelo Brozovic does, but then again, I think that's physically, biologically impossible for any human being to run as much as Marcelo Brozovic does in a football game. I think he set the, another world record uh, the other day for, for distance covered in, in, in one football game. But over than that, other than that, I, he is such an important player. And what he does, I think, that one of the which I think is one of the most overlooked aspects of his game, is the all-important long ball from deep. Uh, to, to 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 when 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 Morocco or Fiorentina or Hellas win the ball defensively, that all important first ball, whether it's a long ball, high ball, 
that that hits hits it gets a teammate who then wins it up and can hold up and or or play off another player and the team gets breathing space and can move up and at counter attack. He really does those does that really well. Brozovic is a master at it, but Amrabat is, is is just behind him there. And and I think that's why what I mean that, that has gotten teams like Spurs, who I knew were, were interested in him already last January. They tried they to sign him in January. They, I don't think they they were yeah they, they were really close to sign him. him. They were in they, they were in advanced talks. They were in advanced talks with him. It fell through. Yeah, the reason it fell through was because Fiorentina decided to sell Eric Pulga or, or loan him out instead. Yeah. And that's why it, that's why it fell yeah. through. Because at yeah. that time, it's weird because he joined he joined Verona in 2019 uh, season, and at that time, although you, you said you know he had a bit of a kind of a breakout season at Feyenoord a couple of years before or three years before. Um, you know, he he wasn't really he didn't arrive to much fanfare. There wasn't really much of a buzz with him. He wasn't really regarded as a as that much of a you know. No one ever thought he would ever be a top player when he when he arrived in in Serie A because he was joining Verona, who were were just being promoted uh, from Serie B um, that summer uh, under Ivan Juric. And you know, so he not, not much was really expected of him, and he was an absolute revelation in that first season uh, on loan at at, uh, at Verona. He was one of the best midfielders in in Serie A that season. And then, as a result, Fiorentina ended up signing him um, the following the, the following year, and so he's, he's in his third season now at Fiorentina. And to be honest, the first eighteen months or so at Fiorentina, he he, I think he he's not he hadn't well, he definitely didn't live up to to his billing uh, at all. His first season was just complete chaos, wasn't it, with Yakini and Prandelli coming back, and then Yakini yeah. again, and it was a joke. Then Italiano coming in, he didn't really. Italiano's got a very very specific systemic type of football where you have to fit into his system and and Amrabat didn't really do that at first um and he didn't you know wasn't even always a first choice player and that's why Fiorentina were prepared to sell him um, at the start of this year during the January 2022 transfer window you know and they were negotiating to sell him he didn't end up happening but since then I think he has now at Fiorentina this year in 2022 he has started to to show you know his real level again and he started to become a top player I think this season he has been he has been very good um, for for Fiorentina uh, and obviously now we've seen at well, the World Cup yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. what an what an incredible player! Um, you know, I've always rated him. I've always been a huge fan of him. Uh, I've always, I've, I've always thought he's a he, that there's a top player in there, always. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think the links to to Liverpool and Spurs make perfect sense for me because Antonio Conte, given how he likes to play, Amrabat is is, is a shoe in there uh, in in front of the defense, and he's because he's a very physical and energetic player as well. He likes to get stuck in. He he doesn't shy away yeah. from from <laughs> from tackles and getting stuck in, and mm. and also he's, but he's not just a destroyer though. He's, he's, he's not just a, he's not dynamic. yeah he's no, not exactly. he's not just a destroyer. He's not just a destroyer because I mean he do, he won't score many goals. He doesn't. Well, he doesn't look at his number of goals he scored in his career and he won't assist many goals he's not that kind of player but he is he is very very press resistant like you you try and pressure him when he picks up the ball in a deep midfield position or in the center of midfield he's very very strong he's very very physically strong you can't shrug him off the ball he plays bounce off him and he can get out of a space with five yards of a little burst or just just pr- the way he protects the ball he uses his body well sticks his big ass out you know he's 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 you know he he's I, I like him. I like him a lot. He's he's a he's a he's an excellent excellent player, and I think he's definitely I think he's worthy of a big club. And I think it's going to be difficult for Fiorentina to to keep hold of him because his contract runs out in twenty twenty four. We've seen his agent, which I think is his brother, um, who's been you know who's been talking a lot in the press. I I think uh, I think he will leave in twenty twenty three. I'm not sure if it will happen in January, but I, I do I th- think that 
I think he, I think he will leave in 2023, maybe in the summer. I think he will. I, I think I think January could be the moment because I know Liverpool are looking at him and I know Liverpool are really interested in him. And to me, it makes sense that, that Klopp would want Amrabat given all the traits that we've listed so far and given how uh, how high, not just press resistant, but he's also a high intensity player um, as well. So, you know, he is he's a different kind of Brozovic, if you want. You know, it's, it's a kind of a player in the similar mould, but different. Um, and I and, and and though Brozovic has been linked with Conte and, and, and Klopp as well in the past. So, yeah. no, I think Amrabat... He's got presence. Uh, so, he's got so presence. Amrabat, yes, he does. He has presence he and, think, and he has personality. I think, I think he, he will has personality go. as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he really does, and I think I think Spurs or Liverpool links they make perfect sense to me, and I think whether if Jan- if not in January, then certainly in June, uh, and I think that that's such a shame because I really really love this this guy. I think he's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Let's let's um, just before we finish off on, on Portugal Morocco. So Cristiano Ronaldo, that's his, he's played his final World Cup game. He 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 posted on Instagram on Sunday. Waving goodbye from the World Cup. He's 37. He'll be 41 by the time the next World Cup is around. So, obviously, he's not going to be around for that. Um, but, you know, he's kind of hinted at retirement from international football, full stop, or, or maybe even retirement from from football altogether. Um, you know, so, the, I mean, the question now is, and, and we've seen a few people say this, I mean, should should Ronaldo retire? from football now altogether. I mean, in my opinion, I think he, he needs to consider whether he should. I mean, I, I don't know what else there is for him to, to stay on for in football, to be honest with you. Um, the World Cup was the one trophy, the one major trophy, which he hasn't won uh, in his career. He's won everything else, uh, including the European Championship for Portugal. But he's won every, you know, he's won the, the Premier League. He's won the Spanish League. He's won the Italian League. He's won the Champions League multiple times. Um, you know that he's won all the major t- major titles. He's won every single individual trophy uh, award, uh, goal scoring records, and and everything else. He's got all, he's got everything. Um, you know, but what is there for him to carry on for now? He's a free agent. He's just had a let's be honest. He's had a bad World Cup. All he did was score a penalty, and then after that, you know, he was dropped for the last two games. Um, he's thirty eight in February. There's no interest at all from big clubs. No major clubs want him. Uh, no, but no major clubs are going to pay his salary, and uh, no major clubs really think that he's he's going to offer he's going to provide anything for them anyway. Uh, and <clears> plus, you know, all the off-field problems as well that go with it. And you know, he's been so unprofessional um, this this year for both club and country. We saw the problems he's caused not just at Man United, Piers Morgan interview, obviously, but also at the World Cup with Portugal, sulking, complaining about being subbed, and you know, and everything else. Um, I don't see who I don't. I, I don't. What's the point of him carrying on and just playing in Saudi Arabia or in the United States? I mean, okay, there's money, but I mean, should he just, just should he just leave the game now? I think that he needs to decide. Uh, I think he needs to come to the realization that he's no longer the player he once was. Those days are over, and that unless he finds a project like Milan, the way that Zlatan did. Uh, with Milan, where he can build it up again, and they can build around him, then, um, then, then I think it's time for him to either retire or go to you know the, he had an offer from an uh, Arabic club. Uh, you know, MLS is an is a, is an is an is a frontier that I think he should he could probably 
you know, try out. But yeah, it's um, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm really with you. It's um, I, I wonder if, if if I mean if he's okay with going through that uh, that that stage of his career, then 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 he should. But if he's not, I think he should retire because I don't think anything good can come from this. It, it would just become sad. Is, is my point? Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's been players over the years that have carried on and played 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 on for too long, you know, uh, and and you know some of them have ruined their legacy a little bit, um, and and I just don't see what there is to gain. I mean, I remember like Lothar Mateus playing on till he was forty, getting humiliated at Euro two thousand, you know, Cannavaro playing on for too long and getting humiliated at two thousand and ten World Cup. Um, you know, there's there are there's examples of absolute legends of the game that have just played on for too long, and it and it's and it's. I mean, those those two guys will still be remembered as two of the all time greats. So you know, eventually, you know, I guess maybe it doesn't matter. But I just don't see what there is to gain from him carrying on. I don't I don't see anything at all. Um, I, if I was him, I would just bow out, uh, enjoy your life with your family, and um, that's it. Just be remembered as a as the legend that you were. Okay, right. Let's move on to Brazil versus Croatia. So, absolute shock. I couldn't believe they lost this game. Um, One-one draw, and then they lose. They lose on penalties. Uh, I, I mean, first of all, I, I think that as much as I'm, I want to praise Croatia, and I will, we will be praising Croatia. I think Brazil were incredibly unlucky, despite not playing anywhere near their level. They were incredibly unlucky. I think they had eleven shots on goal to one. Uh, Croatia had one deflected shot uh, the entire game, um, which they scored from. Um, Brazil were very, very unlucky. They had big, big chances. Lovakovic made some incredible saves in the second half onwards. Um, but again, you know, Croatia—they keep doing it. Um, what, what went wrong for what went wrong for Brazil? Who's to blame for this? For this because everyone thought they would win this World um, Cup. Didn't I they? blame. Yeah, no. Listen, there's for me. This is a disaster all on their coach. The way that he handled this game was just atrocious. Um, Brazil, <clears throat> again, I don't want to take anything away from Croatia. Um, I just, you know, we're going to talk about Croatia and and how how well they are, and and their above all their their never say die attitude, their professionalism, is is really really remarkable. And it reminds me, <clears throat> Croatia remind me of West Germany in my in the eighties and nineties that they might not always be, you know. But, you know that the, 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 some of their parts might be better than their individual parts, even though their individual parts are of really high quality. Um, but as far as Brazil goes, I think both Scaloni and Tita almost cost uh, with 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 Scaloni. I mean, Tita actually costing <clears throat> Brazil a place in the semi final because the way that he handles. I mean, I my personal opinion on defending deep when you're 1-0 up is that do it but do it cleverly do it smart brazil stopped playing you know i don't understand why fred was brought on i think that was an insane decision um he offered absolutely nothing i thought i thought they just gifted away this this was a this was a game that they won that they had won and they completely just threw it away by bad tactical decisions by their coach and i and and i understand that neymar is devastated because i this was his best chance so far in his career to win the world cup i think they were really good yeah. brazil they may they may not be as they may not have been as good as they once were but they were a very good team and i emphasis on team yeah i i mean i think that what you say is true but at the same time 
they, you know, the, the goal that they conceded was through through naivety. They they pushed too many men forward, and they were, and then they were then countered um, like four on four, weren't they? Um, they they pushed too many. I mean, Casemiro, I have to blame him. He he tried to press. He went and tried to press and win the ball. He didn't win it, and then he was out of position. I mean, just naive naivety. Just just keep your positions. You know, don't push too many men forward. Uh, See the game out. Um, you can still attack, but but don't overdo it. And I think they just they over they they put they, they just got their, their positions wrong, and then you know Croatia countered, and they defended the counter very badly. Alexandro, what the hell was he doing? He's a left back. He come on as a left back. He ch- watch the replay of, of Croatia's goal. He charges over from the left hand side of the field all the way over to the right hand side of the field. I don't know why he did it. He was never going to get to the to the to the runner. Uh, and then, as a result, completely vacated his area from the left. So then, when the cross the ball came across from from left to right, there was he wasn't there to to, to defend that space. And then the the Petkovic came in and he had a shot. And okay, quite lucky the goal was deflected. You know, just just one of those where it was meant to be. Um, but um, yeah, I think that um, I mean Brazil Brazil were unlucky in the day. It's the kind of game that nine times out of ten they'll win that game with the amount of chances they created. But at the same time, you know Brazil. As good as they are as a team, like you say, uh, they do they they do still have weaknesses, and I think maybe that is something that every team in this World Cup does have weaknesses. Um, you know, I think the fullbacks don't. We said at the beginning of the tournament, the fullbacks don't offer anything going forward. Danilo, Alexandra, any Juventus fan would have told you that over the last two to three years. If those two are your fullbacks, then you're you're you know you've got you've got a weakness there going forward. Um, and you know, Casemiro was often holding on his own, and we saw when he wasn't there to to protect what happened. Uh, and you, you've got Spurs reserve as your centre forward. I mean, okay, I know he scored three goals according maybe the goal of the tournament, but end of the day, he's a Spurs reserve, uh, and you've got a Barcelona flop on your right wing in Rafinha, who doesn't convince me to be honest at the top top level. And even Neymar, although he scored a great goal, but he he's not the same. It's not the same Neymar. Let's be honest. I know he's having a good season with PSG, but. He's not the same Neymar. He, he, he's, he's, he's lost half a yard. Uh, he can't do the same things that he, that he could do uh, a couple of years ago. So there are weaknesses in this Brazil team. It's not an, it's not a team that, that you know that is unstoppable, and that's why you know that's why Croatia stopped. That's why Croatia beat them. And now that's Brazil are now gone twenty four years now uh, without without winning a well, it will be twenty four years by the time the next World Cup without winning a World Cup. And for 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 a nation as big as Brazil, I mean that is. That's that's pretty much that's a, that's a national disaster for them. I mean, it's like we were saying with Italy and Germany. You know, Italy, Germany, and Brazil dominated every single World Cup. Every single World Cup, it was those three teams were always the dominant teams in every World Cup. And now all of a sudden, you know, we, we did a didn't we? We chatted about Italy and Germany last week, and now Brazil. We can add Brazil into that bracket now, can't we? That they're they're not dominating football um, like they are. You know, the quarter final in 06, quarter final in two thousand and ten, semis in two thousand and fourteen. And then two quarterfinal appearances in the last two, so they're they're not, yeah, they're, they're, it's starting to become a bit of a maybe it's starting to become a bit of a mental problem with Brazil, you know, I, th- I think it is. I think it's becoming a mental thing with them, and maybe that's that hurt them on the penalties that the pressure got to them as well. That's a very good point. That's a very very good point, and I think you're you're right. I think um, for me, I think Brazil's midfield was not where it's at. Um, I think, I think also maybe I, I would have played a little bit differently. I think a back three would have suited that team better. But no, I think I think every point you made is is valid, and also for me, that's further evidence that the top elite teams, barring 
you know, barring maybe Portugal or England, I think they've all declined in the in, in their level of how good they used to be compared to 10, 15 years ago, whilst the so-called traditionally weaker teams, African teams, Asian teams, have raised their level so that the dis- distance between the best and the worst have, has severely diminished. Um, and, and whether or not this is a trend that continues in Brazil remains to be seen but it's it's definitely an interesting mm. it's definitely an interesting um, point point to be to be made mm. and also that brazil like we also said last week that some of the big nations definitely are weaker than they were 20 years ago i mean like brazil were one of those teams that we name checked along with i would eat, so i know they're still in the yeah. competition with argentina i would say italy i mean compare the, their teams today with 20 years ago 16 years ago i mean i'm sorry but those teams their teams back then were much much stronger than, than they are now they wouldn't have a Spurs. I mean, you know, the 2002 World Cup Brazil team wouldn't have a Spurs reserve as their as their centre forward. They wouldn't have fullbacks that 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 can't even cross the, the halfway line. <laughs> you know, they would have Cafu and Roberto Carlos. So you know, it's, it's, there's there's there, there is there's definitely that as well. Um, we do have to, we do have to praise Croatia though, uh, and I, I just want to. I mean, a lot has been said about them, a, a nation of four million people, and how they keep punching above their way. It is miraculous. It is absolutely miraculous. But what I want to focus on is that midfield. Uh, Modric, Brozovic, Kovacic. Uh, I know we can add Rakitic into it. He's not there anymore. But, you know, if you're going back four years. I mean, this is... The question I want to ask is, where I mean, where does this, this central midfield rank among the greatest international centre midfields of all time? Because for me... It's up there. It's not the greatest, but it's definitely up there. If you look at what they've achieved, a final, now a semi-final, maybe a second final in a row, with a with a with a team which, let's be honest, the rest of the team isn't the best team. They're nowhere near the, the best team in the in the World Cup. They're punching above the weight. But it's for me, it's down to this midfield because this midfield, even though Brazil does deserve to win and created the chances, th- this midfield was actually on top from a, for, for for large portions of the game against against Brazil. They controlled it. They dominate the possession. They're, they're, they're so good at keeping the ball. The little triangles, the little short passes. I say it all the time. That's my kind of football, the players that can play the short passing game. It's amazing what, what they do together. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's I think it's definitely up there. I mean, for me, the greatest ever, the greatest ever uh, midfield, central midfield, if we're talking about, it's probably France. France's, France's team of the 80s, the, the Gires, Tigana, Luis Fernandez, and then you could probably put Platini in there. It was called the Magic Square. I mean, that for me, that had everything. That that had the defensive solidity, but it it had the runners, the running of Tigana and Tackley, and it had the, the 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 technique and the imagination and skill and 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 the goal scoring um, of of Gires and Platini. It was a, the complete midfield for me. That that's the greatest. And then you've obviously got Spain, Xavi, Iniesta, and Busquets, who. A bit more like this Croatian midfield in that you just couldn't ever get the ball off them. They were just so good, so good with the ball. Uh, and then the other ones, I would probably, you know, I think I really think Italy's. I mean, it wasn't a, it's not a World Cup midfield, but it's an international midfield. Verratti, Jorginho, Barella uh, at the Euros, I thought were, were absolutely amazing. Are right up there again. Can't get the ball off them. Dominate possession every game. Uh, Brazil's 1982 midfield: Socrates, Falcao, Cerezo. Unbelievable midfield. Um, they didn't win anything. Um, you can, we can go further back as well, but I mean, what, what, where, where would you rank these this this midfield? It's a it's a fascinating midfield, but I I have to say, Rakitic, Modric, uh, Brozovic is is for me still 
that that hits higher. That hit that hit a higher note. I think that that Croatia team of four years ago was. I mean, given where they all were in their careers, they were much better. Than, than they are. I mean, this is the funny thing. This is what's so impressive about this Croatian team is that they're kind of in the middle of a rejuveni- rejuvenation. They're in the middle of a generational shift from the four years ago, uh, and they're still in the semifinals. And that, that goes to show that when you have an organization, both on and off the pitch, surrounding the team, and the players in the squad all have this incredible, super professional attitude, and you have a coach who has all the players behind him and they all work towards a one goal, they're all united, you can overperform. And I do think that this Croatia has overperformed. I think last four years ago, they did not overperform. They were one of the best, second best, if not the best team in the world. I think France winning was fair. And I think them getting to the final was more than fair. Croatia were that good four years ago. I think this is a little bit of an overachievement, which shows, again, how incredibly impressive this Croatian generation is of Perisic and Modric and, and the likes and, and their mentality that they... There's a clip going around. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I think he's talking to the goalkeeper, Modric, um, the Croatian national goalkeeper, and talking about him, how he, how, how he has to think in order to succeed and say, look, making mistakes is okay. Everybody makes mistakes. Do you st- I mean, he says, do you, don't you think I have ma- I've made mistakes? What matters is what you do after the mistakes, how you bounce back, how you don't repeat them. I mean, this this mentality, they have an incredible elite mentality. When it comes to, um, I think, it, when it comes to winning mentality, when it comes to professionalism, they are the winners of the World Cup. I don't think anyone comes close to this Croatia side in how they prepare, how they take care of their bodies, how they take care of themselves, the, 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 the way that they build a team. They are, they are the best in the World Cup at that. And it reminds me so much of Germany in the 80s and 90s that sometimes that Germany weren't always maybe the best team, but they always got to the semi-final final because of their, their how well prepared they were tactically, physically, mentally, and that they never give up. I mean, for goodness sakes, they were there were parts of that game against uh, against Brazil where they were hanging on by the th- by the skin of their teeth, but they hung on and they just do not give up. They just keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And that to me is just the the morale of this team is just is you know, really the hat is off. Like I salute you. It's it's unbelievable. And I'm telling you now, I wouldn't be surprised. Argentina have to watch out. This Croatia can make the World Cup final. They can make life a living hell for 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 Argentina, for Messi and friends by doing what they did against Brazil, by slowing down the tempo in midfield. And those three know how to slow down a tempo. They got Brozovic, who covers more distance than any human being should be should be legally allowed to. Um, it's it's insane. And then they've got Brozovic, and then they've got Kovacic, who's such an intelligent player. And Modric, we know Modric is a legend of the game. No, it's, 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 and, and of course, the best defender in the tournament, Guardiol. Um, mm. No, it's, it's just, it's just, it's so impressive. They really are a team in every essence of the word. And it's so impressive to see them play. It really is. Mm, it sure is. Okay, and finally, final game. Um, Argentina Holland because it will be Argentina that that Croatia play in that in that other in the first semi final on on Tuesday. So um, this was a World Cup classic for me. Argentina two 0 
cruising. I thought Argentina <laughs> total total cruise control for the first seventy five minutes or so of this game, and then Holland just decided to go long ball, bring on Berghorst, De Jong, and just just lump it forward. And Argentina couldn't handle couldn't handle them, and they 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 they, they get two goals. But the second Holland goal was absolute genius. It was reminiscent of that. Javier Zanetti goal against uh, England in the 1998 World Cup. I thought it was just an absolutely brilliant, brilliantly worked uh, free kick to, for, for him to score. Um, but, you know, Argentina managed to, to get it together and 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 win the game on, on penalties. Um, so what did you make of, yeah, what did you make of this game? There's so, so much to talk about in this game. Well, the, the, the same thing there. Um, Scaloni almost cost Argentina a game that they'd already won. It, it, it drove me insane when he brings off Rodrigo de Paul and puts out Leandro Paredes. That substitution is the worst substitution I think I've seen, not just in this World Cup, but I think it's right up there in the top 10 of worst substitutions in World Cup history. What was he doing? Um, it was it was just it was so stupid, and and to top it off, I mean it was it was like Pekerman taking off Riquelme in the World Cup 2006 all over again, and if that wasn't bad enough, he takes off Cuti Romero who because he's already on a yellow card and he puts on Petzella. It's like, well, you know, Pekerman, remember that really stupid infamous thing you did in 2006? Well, hold my mate because I'm going to do that twice as much, twice as bad. It was it was so stupid. And completely gave away the game and initiative to, to the Netherlands, who were, again, Louis van Gaal is a sly old fox. I have nothing but the utmost respect for that man in his ability to get the most out of the quality uh, of the players that he's got and, and the squad available to him. And and what he, and, and the way that they work their game in, and, and of course, Weghorst, <laughs> you know, what, and, and to just play this kind of simple football, which is so anti-Dutch. I know that Marco van Basten has been throwing hissy fits on the sidelines this World Cup, saying that, you know, this is not fun football. You know, football should be fun. And what you'll do, what he's doing is killing and sucking the fun out of football on Dutch TV. And I guess it's not exactly the kind of football he was playing or or total football at all. You know, just lob it up to De Jong and and, and Vegas, the two the two towering strikers. But I mean, why not? It's football is about winning. So I've got no problems with that whatsoever. Um, but and 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 again, Louis, this is how good of a coach he is tactically. If you give him the slightest inch, he will take the mile. And Argentina, lucky they didn't get knocked out um, because the penalty shootout is a lot. You know, there's there's a lot of luck involved. But having said that, Argentina did get through, and above all, Lautaro Martinez won it for them. That penalty, you know, showed to me it was it was as safe as you as you get. It was none of this. The, the Lautaro we've seen so far in this World Cup, the nervous, kind of annoyed, not in harmony kind of player. But no, that was a resolute uh, penalty. And not just that, his entire substitution, his, his performance when Sissi came on, he was great. He was outstanding. He was he was he was working his himself into being the Lautaro that we've seen at Inter when he comes back from these you know dry spell patches when he's when he's when he's not when things aren't working for him. And I and I think the game against Croatia, I think he'll I think he will start and and I think he will score. The question is how do uh, Croatia react and does Scaloni not you know repeat does he learn from his mistakes and and kill the game off before taking making stupid substitutions and putting Paredes on uh and then giving the initiative to Croatia which we know is very dangerous to do. So it's it's an open game for me, but yeah, there's 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 um 
I do think it's advantage Argentina for sure, but don't count out Croatia because they never, ever give up. You have to kill them off. If you don't, they will come back and haunt uh, and, and, kill, and, and kill you off instead. <laughs> yeah, they, they certainly will. Um, I just have to give a shout out just before we finish with Belgium Prim Face Week on just the whole shithousery of Argentina. Uh, and and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that Holland <laughs> won't do it as well. But Argentina are the greatest shit house, shit house nation in football history. Uh, not just this, this, it's, this Argentina. They are the best. Every Argentina. The galactic shit house champions. Yeah. It goes back. It goes back. <laughs> it goes back decades. It goes back to nineteen. Go back to the nineteen sixties, the late nineteen sixties, when they used to have the intercontinental cup final between the winners of the European yes. Cup, the, now the Champions League, and the winner of the Copa Libertadores. Uh, and you know, like this still is now. And um, those two used to play. Now that tournament actually got suspended for a number of years in the seventies because European teams refused refused to play the games because the the the, the matches used to end up in so many fist fights uh, and and punch ups. And and it was always it was always the always the Argentine Argentina teams Argentine teams that were were the the ones causing the trouble. Uh, and there was some real but, brutal games but the involving thing is, Man United, South American, Celtic, South, South. And, and Milan as well. Yeah. Those three teams, Man United, Celtic South. and Milan, they all all played games against Argentina teams where they got beaten the shit out of, basically, by the Argentines. <laughs> so- South American South American shithousery is a guilty pleasure of mine. I absolutely love it. It's so entertaining. And yes, it's a photo finish between Argentina and Uruguay when it comes to shithousery. It really is. But those two are are really at a in a league of their own because it's and and the trash talking afterwards and Emmy Martinez running shirtless around and and you know tiny little Leo Messi going off squaring off against mm. against Vig Horst. I mean it, it's it's entertainment. I, I don't think anyone crossed the line. I, I find the pearl clutching around that so silly. The the Dutch players were provoking them. They were trash talking them. And and Argentina when they won they retorted and 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 it's, mm. it's part of. It. I I I find this. Remember in 2006 when everybody clutched their proverbial pearls over, whoa, what did Materazzi say to Zidane? doesn't matter what Materazzi said to, said, to, said, to, said to Zidane because he didn't say anything racist, he didn't say anything like that. They they were both saying, they were mouthing off, squaring each other off, and one of them lost. And and, and that's it's part and parcel of the game. I, it's nonsense. Mm. I, I, I thought it was incredibly entertaining. It gives us something to talk about. I think it's, it was a classic World Cup game, like you said, one of the all-time greatest games of the World Cup. And I absolutely enjoyed. I lapped up every last second of it yeah yeah so did I thought it was fantastic okay so just to just to finish off then uh, Badjo and Prem Face of the Week okay well the winner for Badjo is is pretty obvious isn't it it's Morocco yeah I mean yes Morocco everything there's a storyline of Morocco and and also Peter Drury for his commentary I think it's just so beautiful it really really <sighs> moved me you and Peter Drury. Okay. And <laughs> Prem Face of the Week. Uh, I don't know how many you've oh, got. Okay. But I've I got had a couple. I... Yeah, I've got two. I've got two. Go on then, you go first. <laughs> one go we've on. already mentioned. Yeah, we, one is... we've already mentioned. Lee Hendry. Lee Hendry um, saying, I look at Giroud and he doesn't worry me. <laughs> Which I okay. thought was absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah, there's also a com- there was also a comedian... Up. There was also a comedian. Uh, I call him a comedian, but he's not funny at all. Uh, something Whitehall, a uh, really posh middle class. Jake, Jack Whitehall. 
Jack, Jack that's Whitehall. It. Oh, Jack what Whitehall, an absolute yeah. oh, unbearable. So he, he tweeted out really angry, blaming the referee for, for England losing. But he also said that Giroud, um, Giroud was a donkey that was a complete flop in the Premier League or, or something like that. And yeah, that just, just reminds me of that. Yeah, go on, what's well, your second I've got one? to say, the, the, the second one is Dana White, the, the uh, um, mixed mar- MMA guy, um, UFC guy. I can't stand soccer. I think it's the least talented sport on earth. There's a reason three-year-olds can play soccer, okay? You run around and kick a ball. Do you know how untalented you have to be to score three points when the net is this big? (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That is so dumb. It's like, yeah. oh God! It's like he doesn't he, he, tell me you haven't watched the game of football without telling me you haven't watched the game of football. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh exactly. my God! Exactly so that. That, that. to me is okay, hilariously brilliant. The three I've got uh, are two I've already mentioned. So first, Martin Keown doing his his uh, his England France best eleven before the game, and he picked three only picked three France players in it. Uh, second one was, uh, and um, this is actually from a few. I actually, it's from a couple of years ago, apparently, um, but I only saw it for the first time. It, it did the rounds again, um, you know, in the lead-up to this game, which was uh, Jason Cundy from TalkSport saying that Raheem Sterling is better than Pele. And and the <laughs> final one is... Um, oh, my God. Please send that Lampard. to me. I need to retweet that every morning. Yeah, no, you have to send that to me. I need to retweet yeah. that every morning because it puts a smile on my face. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he basically said that Pele was unproven. Um, he, he said Pele was unproven because <laughs> he, 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 he only he only played in. He goes, he only played in Brazil, and then and then no, he, he barely even mentioned Brazil. He, think, he basically said he only played in the MLS. That's what he what he said. That's basically what he wasn't even called the MLS. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it wasn't even an MLS then. <laughs> no, oh, no. Uh, oh yeah, it is, it is an it is it is art. Uh, and the the final one was. But the Lad thing is, Bible. I have to ask you. I yeah. Sorry, go, go, go. Yeah, Lad Bible or Sport Bible, one of the two, saying that um, Phil Foden uh, has more potential than Messi. Some some guy wrote, I saw uh, Jerry Mancini tweeted Yeah, that out, was that, yeah. Uh, today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my, that, that was my third yeah. one. No, I, I saw that, the Messi-Foden thing. And, yeah, there's so much more. Mm. But I have to say, though, I'm seriously starting to question, and I, and I touted the idea online with you, I don't think they believe some of the stuff they say. I think they know that they get interactions. And so they decide amongst themselves, what, what is the most outrageously stupid, crazy thing we can say that gets as must, much, um, res- resonates the most and gets the most interactions on social media? I honestly think they do it on purpose now because you can't tell me that you think Mason Mount is more valuable than Neymar. I don't think Mason Mount thinks he's more valuable than Neymar, right? First of all. Second of all, this notion that Pele, Raheem Sterling and Pele, I think Raheem Sterling would laugh in your face if you were to say that hmm. to him. I mean, it's just, it's. I think the players themselves that they hype up like that would, would find these comparisons ridiculous. So I wonder if it's, if they really mean what they say or if it's just, you know, to, to, do, to, to get interactions on social media. Well, you know what I think of that? I think it is genuine. But anyway, uh, that's all we have time for. <laughs> that's 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 what we have to, all we have time for for today. Uh, we will be back on Thursday. We'll do uh, reviews of the the World Cup semi-finals, and then we will look ahead to the the World Cup final. Um, plus, uh, I'm sure there'll be some other Serie A stuff kicking about. 
which we can talk about then as well. We'll also on Tuesday have our Q&A Hello. episode where we'll answer our questions from our from our listeners. Absolutely. And make sure to sign up on patreon.com slash DIFP for $2.99 per month, excluding VAT, to, get, uh, to send us questions and listen to that and all the extra stuff that we push out as well. So. Yeah, and that includes uh, our interview that we did uh, last week with Udinese striker Beto, um, which we pushed out on, I think, Thursday. So um, you can, yeah, you can check that out yeah, as Thursday, well. Um, yeah, on Thursday. So you can check that out as well. But as I said, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow for the, for the Q&A episode. Until then, ciao, ciao. Mm-hmm.